DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. everyone to DJ Simulationista Sup. You're here with Dan Raymer and Janice Pelaganis. Dan, sup? Sup with you, Janice. Haven't seen you in uh, in a while. What you been up to? Dan, I just did this Facebook live session for the Society for Simulation Healthcare. It was really fun. I missed you. Well, uh, <laughs> I did get an email. I was supposed to listen to it. Uh, I'm afraid I was busy gardening, so sorry about that. Well, you can watch it. I mean, you can watch it anytime. But uh-huh. I particularly missed you because I guess I'm used to talking about topics with you. So I want to take this opportunity to talk about lifelong learning with you because that's what this session was on. Uh, what in the world did you say about lifelong learning? Well, that it's not apple pie, that it's very <laughs> difficult to do. And so I, you know, I tried to talk about the get at the complexity of lifelong learning and the interesting course that you remember in college or that you took in college or the interesting article or the book that you read a few months ago, how much of that do you really remember and how do you retain the knowledge and the skills that you gain throughout your life? And I guess I ended with the message of coming up, I I asked the audience to come up with one goal they could set for themselves between now and IMSH in the next couple months, coming up with one goal and practicing that goal to figure out, you know, what works for them. Because I I do feel like people need to figure out what works for them in their own lifelong learning. Um, Do you have an example uh, of that? I'm, you know, I'm an example person, so... What, what what kind of thing are you talking about? Okay, so I downloaded, so I think it's different for each person. And for me, what's been working for me lately is I have this app. It's called Thing Counter. And, um, and I get no sponsorship from them, by the way. I don't even know who they are. Uh, but I have it on my phone. And there are a bunch of things that I'm trying to learn between now and January, actually. And I can count the amount of times that I practice it, and I have certain goals for either the week or that day, depending on what that task is. Like what sort of things? I'm really trying to work on my handstand push-ups for... (laughs) I feel like all my examples are in CrossFit. But I have a competition coming up in January, and I have to get stronger at my handstand push-ups. And so um, my goal is to do 20 a day, And so I have this thing counter and I can click how many times I do it a day. And some days I do it and some days I don't. And I have to really think about why didn't I do it yesterday? Why didn't I, how did I get to it today? How was I able to figure that out? And I think by the time I get to January, if I keep working on it, I'll be able to improve myself in that one little goal. And, you know, similarly with the course that we teach, you know, we, at the end of the course, we tell them to practice using their advocacy inquiry, you know, practice one a day, just take one and practice one. I saw, I think I wonder, 
the more you practice, the more you'll be able to make it a habit and keep it up and get better at it. So uh, handstand push-ups, I have to say that my fingers really hurt when I stand <laughs> on my hands uh, because my heels crush them. Um, uh, handstand push-ups, wow. Uh, I Double unders. That sounds like something that uh, ha- would have to do with my chin. That's so interesting because I think about lifelong learning quite differently. And it's interesting to hear your perspective. As uh, everyone knows, I'm much older than you. So I have a lifelong experience where you're just this is why uh, I talk a, a, babe, a babe in the woods. I think of lifelong learning as really making fundamental changes as reinventing yourself. Um, uh, When I think of lifelong learning, I think about all of the changes that I've made in my life where I've really had to take a risk and venture into a new area that I didn't know about in order to reinvent myself. You know, in simulation, when I started off in simulation, I came to it from bioengineering. And I saw myself as a simulation engineer. And even when I first started debriefing, my debriefings were always very technical. They had to do with uh, details and esoterica around the uh, anesthesia ventilator and how it worked and how that related to respiratory physiology. And after some time, I realized that there were other probably more important concepts around uh, human behavior, leadership, teamwork, uh, sort of non-less technical um, issues, more, more human issues that I really needed to learn about. And so I uh, started reading and listening to others who knew a lot more about that than I did and tried to acquire an expertise around uh, human behavior. And, and that to me was, you know, the kind of lifelong learning that I needed to do to do my job. And then when I started teaching IMS courses and teaching other people how to debrief, I realized I needed to further change my life and learn about education. And so the same process of um, you know, starting over and learning about a topic that I wasn't comfortable with, that I didn't have in my uh, in my back pocket, and that to me was an example of lifelong learning. All of those new learnings were at the expense of my old learning because it meant I didn't keep up with my bioengineering. So I I think there's different, so this is really interesting, Dan, because I feel like there are so many different aspects to lifelong learning. And and the one that you're really highlighting for me visually is this a pathway, furthering yourself in different directions and taking the risk to improving yourself, even if it takes you somewhere different. Does that capture? Yeah, I think so, because I think it almost necessarily means that you stop the same learning process in what you used to know and your expertise of the past becomes perhaps uh, uh, less current, a little obsolete and stale eventually. And uh, that's the kind of price you pay for lifelong learning. 
there's so many ways to see lifelong learning and, and there, that's, that's one way. And I think another are the little loops of practice and feedback that you need to get with each part of your pathway or segment of your pathway. So, you know, as you were in your bioengineering phase, there were things that you had to kind of branch out and learn and keep practicing along that way to improve yourself as a bioengineer. And then when you decided to take a leap into education and simulation, different loops as well as as you furthered yourself as an educator and as a simulationista. But you're absolutely right. Like I think of people who don't change that that are, that might be afraid to take the risk. Um, you know, we have the saying in emergency nursing that you might hire someone with 10 years experience, but you got to just double check. Are you hiring someone with 10 years of experience or someone that has lived one one year of experience 10 times and I and so there are those people and I guess what you're bringing up is is really interesting because for many people it might be overcoming fear of going somewhere different changing who they are what they know putting them in in a zone of discomfort that might be daunting yeah I think it's uh I, I think you're you're really asking people to take a huge risk in making any kind of change, especially one that has lifelong implications. And I think it's um, really relevant to simulation because so many people come into simulation with lots of different expertise, and it creates this dilemma. So for yourself, you came into simulation from emergency nursing. Uh-huh. Uh, and I uh, am knowing you as well as I do. I'm sure that you were awesome as an emergency nurse and that you kept current and read the journals and went to lectures and uh, got feedback and practiced the things that you were good at in emergency nursing. When but I was then an you, emergency nurse. When you were an emergency <laughs> nurse. But then you decided to go into simulation, and uh, I'm pretty sure that you haven't kept that up. Absolutely. And so, so you lose that, that expertise. And, uh, and I guess it, you know, having had that experience is a huge advantage for you when you're debriefing because you kind of know what questions to ask and what things are generally important. But it can also be baggage for you because when you open your mouth and say something and people respond with, that oh, we don't do that ago. anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, you feel pretty awkward and you wish that you hadn't been an emergency nurse when you're in the middle of a debriefing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, yes. Yeah. So there's there are another two aspects. I'm not sure I'd, I'd have the ability to be where I am if I didn't grow myself, you know, decades ago when I was an emergency nurse and really worked on improving myself as in, in my clinical skills, I'm not sure I could even have the ability to do what I do now. And yet, you know, the dilemma of had I, you know, and I do keep up my knowledge, but actually from the students, they give me the updates. But if I had deliberately gone to annual conferences and kept up my clinical knowledge along the way, wouldn't I be better? And I, I mean, do you, I'm sure you've probably had the same experience with bioengineering. 
Uh, yes, I've had that same experience with bioengineering and even with my uh, clinical involvement because I was in, uh, um, you know, in anesthesiology uh, for a very long time and I went to a lot of the conferences and read the papers and the journals and when I was a researcher I kept up with that stuff and much less so now and sometimes I find myself in a bit of a pickle. Uh, when I open my mouth and I'm coming from a place of uh, old knowledge, I have to really keep an open mind and use the students to, uh, they, I feel comfortable that they can update the knowledge and I don't need to. I think in my engineering world, I, I know there's a, a funny example of, of this that came up recently. Uh, Johnny Cartwright, our wonderful simulation technologist who recently left us. Uh, 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 decided that uh, he really wanted to improve a, a, a heart model that I had built years earlier. And he came to me and we batted around all these ideas and it involved uh, making, building an electronic circuit to make the heart that we had made, this rubber cannulated heart, we wanted to make it beat. And uh, and so I said, oh, we can just build a circuit to drive uh, uh, some solenoids and some motors to, to, to make the heartbeat. And he said, great. And so I said, I can do that. And I sat down to build this circuit. And uh, I found the cobwebs were really, really <laughs> thick. <laughs> so it's probably been 10 or 15 years that I had built a circuit. When I was an engineer, I kind of kept up with that. I read the journals. I knew all the latest components. Uh, uh, you know, I could sit down and uh, knock out a circuit in no time. When I sat down with Johnny to build the circuit, I um, started building and, uh, and had to stop and uh, take it apart and start it again. And all along the way, I had these kind of... Uh, uh, you know, recollections where I would say, oh, no, I remember that. You're not supposed to do it that way. And, and you know, in the end, uh, we got it to work, but I had this feeling like, yeah, I just built a circuit using old technology. I wonder if this could have been done a whole lot better and more efficiently if I actually had kept up with my expertise. Well, isn't that interesting? So it's almost like we get this false confidence, too, because we have had this experience. And if we don't keep it up, we're at a point where, yes, it, you have the confidence to actually build it, and you probably wouldn't have built it if you didn't have that confidence. So it gave you the ability to actually build it. Yet at the same time, when is your whole experience harmful to your actual practice today? Yeah, so I considered that a great example of baggage baggage uh, it was baggage because <laughs> having that prior knowledge gave me this false confidence and in, in what i should have done wait 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 found... i want to clarify it gave you confidence and it gave you false confidence there's it's it's two pronged here yes it gave me it gave me the confidence that it could be done right. and that it should be done but it gave me the false confidence that I should do it because what I really should have done is found someone who was, uh, uh, had, you know, was more expert and kept up their expertise and, and, and hired them to build it instead yeah. of 
me wasting a whole lot of time, my so time and Johnny's time and, and expense uh, at CMS to, uh, to build this circuit that I was only, you know, only marginally competent <laughs> to do. And, and so I think we come into simulation and debriefings with that same sort of baggage that our prior experiences as a clinician or an educator or, uh, or having some particular expertise gives us the confidence and competence to bring out the most important issues, uh, but it also carries baggage with us that sometimes we get in, you know, over our head and use our waning uh, lifelong learning in a, in a particular area and it gets us in trouble. So I think it still highlights the dilemma of had you kept up your bioengineering abilities, it would have put you in a better position to be able to build it more efficiently, quicker, blah, blah, blah. Great model. Yes, or, but of course. But, and, and this is where it's personal to me, is as you know, I've been dying to go back to the clinical environment. Like, I've just, I really miss it. I, and I, I go into this every once in a while, a, a struggle of, should I at least, you know, pull a few shifts, you know, something, get back in there. And I just think the more time I dedicate, if I had to work three shifts a week, that's less time that I have to further myself as an educator and practice some of the other goals that I have in my lifelong learning in my newer career. So I don't know. It's such a dilemma for me. Yes, it is a dilemma in your choices to, you know, have lifelong learning and developing your double chin or whatever you call it. <laughs> uh, uh, th those also take away from the you know, time and attention to uh, to your chosen area, and that's that's a dilemma. Because if you if you don't keep up in uh, in in what you knew before, then you start to look pretty foolish after a while. But if you spend all your time doing that, you don't reinvent yourself. You don't learn any any new things. And there's only you know, 24 hours in a day, and there's only so much you can uh, take in. And I have to tell you, as you get older, that becomes more and more difficult. Um, it, and so, you know, so you have to make those decisions and find the right balance point of how much lifelong learning do I do in the things that I am com comfortable and competent in, and how much lifelong learning do I, uh, in, you know, in the form of reading, lectures, feedback, practice, how much of it do I do in the new area in which I'm trying to reinvent myself? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much literature out there in in terms of practice and making habits in your life to actually practice some of the new skills that you've gained to improve on them and build upon them, deliberate practice and deliberately developmental. Yet the real problem that I think we struggle with is prioritization and, you know, our big excuses, I don't have time for that. Well, you got to make time for it. And what I really love about this conversation is is the complexity of trying to figure out for yourself what's important 
and is it worth your time? And is it better to have the baggage or not better? Or how do I leave the baggage? It's kind of deep in our own frames. And uh, I think if there's one message to this conversation we're having for people who are listening, it's that you have to look inwardly, deeply into Mm -hmm. your own frame and think about what's important and what's worth making an investment in. Because if you don't do any lifelong learning, either in reinventing yourself or in getting better at what you're doing, uh, you'll become quite stale. (laughs) And just, just, you know, making excuses for why you're not progressing uh, you know, is a sign that you're really not in touch with your own frames. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, we are limited only by our willingness to change. I'm still going to put the call out there to all of our listeners to just figure out what interests you, prioritize that, pick one goal between now and the next two months. It's not so much the goal that's important, but reflecting on whether or not you made time for that goal, whether or not you achieved it, whether or not you didn't, and studying yourself and trying to figure out what worked for you, why you didn't, why you did, and figuring out your kind of trajectory in your own lifelong learning. So my goal between now and IMSH is to see if a guy with a double chin can do a handstand push up uh, (laughs) without a crane. (laughs) So with that, Janice, it's been nice talking to you. There is no app for that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I think we won't put that on video. (laughs) (laughs) Facebook live session, Dan. Can we do it? (laughs) Uh, I don't think so. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. DJ Simulationistas, what's up? Is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.